You see, the devil's job is to get you to stop. He wants to get you to give up. Remember John Avazzini once wrote, he said, the devil is not so much concerned about driving you backwards as he's keeping you where you are because if he can keep you where you are, he can stop you from going to where you need to be. So you've got a place to get to. You've got a job in God to do. You've got a commission in God. You've got a calling of God for your life, of your marriage, for your business. But the devil wants to stop you. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. You started a new series uh, from the book of Romans last week uh, called One Gospel, One Church. So I wanna go just as we start, and I'm gonna be speaking about a topic today that I think will help all of us. So let's go to Romans chapter one, and this is what you, a scripture you would have done last week, but I wanna just pick out something that I think will help you. I'm gonna read verses 18 to 21, verses 25, verse 28, and verse 31. And it says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. By their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. Now watch this, but their thinking... Everybody say thinking. They're thinking. Remember the, the, the video that says, the guy shouts out and he says, my ship is sinking. And the German guy says, what you're thinking? So this is the, not the sinking, this is the thinking. He says, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And as a result of what they exchanged, they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Furthermore, just as they did not think, everybody say think. So we can see that thinking is very important. Your thoughts are very important. In fact, the fruit of your life is a result of your thinking. For they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they ought, they do, so what you do is what, because of your mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is, right? Verse 20, verse 32 says, they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice these. So the practice of life, the doing of life, the things that you do is as a result of your thinking. And so I wanna address an aspect of your thinking today called settle your doubts. 
Because James, the first book of James talks about that if you're double-minded, you're not gonna get anything in life. You're unstable in every way. So your thinking needs to be right. And an area that affects us is doubts because doubt is the opposition, is the opposite to faith. And the Bible says you don't need faith for what you can do, you need faith for what you cannot do, right? Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. You need faith to live this life. Or you can live with unbelief and have the fruit of unbelief. And so we need to understand that settling doubts is vital. Now let me go to the book of Exodus to help you today. And we're all gonna go through a little bit of a journey. And I'm gonna come right back to New Testament. But it says in Exodus chapter three, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. I've had the privilege of standing on Mount Horeb. It's brilliant. And it says, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, now you've got to catch the sequence here. I will go over and see the strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? He's, in, he's got an inquiring mind. He's thinking about things. He's not sinking. He's thinking. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, that's when God, God waited for Moses to move and when he moved, God began to speak. It's interesting, yeah. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. <laughs> I don't know what kind of a voice he would have used because I would have been absolutely like, here I am, here, here I am. I don't know, you don't know, we don't know. He said, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Somerset West sites. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, <laughs> watch this. God says to him, I'm gonna do the, all these things. And we love it when God says, I've got the plans for you. I've got a hope for you and I've got dreams for you and I've got a blueprint plan for your life. And, and God says, I've got destiny for you. We all go, yeah, and God says, but it's gonna happen through you. Now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, this is absolutely incredible. Moses gets to see and experience all this, and then to top it off, he gets a personal commission. He gets a personal commission. He gets employed by God. What a start. What a different job that he had before. He had a real desert job for 40 years. But look at the very next verse. I mean, imagine God speaking to you like that, God giving you a commission, personally calling you, putting his name on you, saying all these things are gonna happen. You're the man, you're the deal. And the very next verse, verse 11 says, but. What do you say, but? Now tell the person next to you, but. But, Moses said to God, three letters of a small word, but that little word can change everything in your life. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? A three-letter word. 
Do you know that little word has the power to stop anything? Have you ever heard of a, do- a door stopper? You know, when, the, when you want to keep a door open, you put the door stopper in. And I promise you, you can really yank that door, and that little door stopper can keep it in place. The Bible says, don't give the devil a foothold. The devil just needs a little door stopper in your life to stop the plans and the move of God for your life. And, and this is really was, was Moses' door stopper. You see, the devil's job is to get you to stop. He wants to get you to give up. Remember John Avanzini once wrote, he said, the devil is not so much concerned about driving you backwards as he's keeping you where you are because if he can keep you where you are, he can stop you from going to where you need to be. So you've got a place to get to. You've got a job in God to do. You've got a commission in God. You've got a calling of God for your life and for your marriage, for your business. But the devil wants to stop you. He wants to hinder you, interfere with you. But God's job is to get you moving. Because remember what Jesus said in John 10 verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it in its abundance, in its fullness, in its true potential. So my sermon topic today is settle your doubts. Come, let's say this together. Settle your doubts. Not just my hired crew here, all of us together, settle your doubts. It's very important. What's the definition of doubt? It means lack of confidence, to doubt. It's like saying he has doubts about his abilities. Have you ever doubted your ability? Have you ever doubted whether you could actually ride a bicycle, whether you could actually get over the mountain? Uh, I'm, I'm, I've climbed Kilimanjaro, and I'm, I've climbed Base Camp Everest, and this, in a week's time, I'm going to be going to Mira Peak in, in the Himalayas, and I'm, I want to climb 21,000 feet. I have a little bit of doubts, <laughs> to be very honest. Six and a half thousand meters. I've, never, I've climbed 5,800 meters, but never six and a half thousand meters. So there's a lack of confidence. It's an inclination not to believe or not to accept. I really doubt that. I don't really believe that. It's a claim met with doubt. And uh, you, you you can go and just check. There's a picture about doubt with all the words that surround doubt. We've got time for that, but you go and read it yourself. And and there's so many things that we, we label ourselves with when it comes to doubt. You see, if you don't settle your doubts, it can derail your momentum. It'll derail your potential and will ultimately your very purpose in life. Moses can have the best commission, the best calling in life. You can have the very best promises that God has for you and not see the fulfillment of it. The grave site is littered with, with graves of unfulfilled destiny. People had the calling, had the promises, had everything that they need in God, and yet did not see it fulfilled. Self-doubt. Because when you doubt, it leads to self-doubt. Now let's continue with Moses in Exodus 3 verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? Let's all say together, who am I? I'm just keeping you awake. Who am I? No, I'm Anthony. So who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And what you find here with Moses is a trap that we all fall in. He literally is saying, God, do you really know who I am? I mean, God, did you not... Did you just wake up? Don't you know who I am? Can you imagine God getting, giving him the best deal possible, the best package, commission, employment, opportunity? And then Moses goes, oh, let's just stop the train right here. Do you know who I am? I mean, what an insult to God. But that's what self-doubt literally is saying. You see, doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. You've got to understand that. It just kills momentum. I've so many times measured the task ahead of me by my perception of my worth and my capabilities. 
I, I've often looked at what needed to be done and I go like, yeah, but I'm not really capable. I'm not really worthy of this. And, and so I disqualify myself. Not that God has disqualified me. I disqualify myself. Do you know that you disqualify yourself more than anybody else's opinions and comments about you? You shut the tap of opportunity over your own life. And what we do is we measure ourselves against what's ahead of us. That's what I love about David. I've got time to go there, but David and Goliath. Do you remember the story? Goliath looked at himself, looked at David, said, yeah, bro, you know, I won't give you a Cape colored look, but I mean, he was like, you know, and Goliath looked at himself, looked at David, but I love about David. David looked at Goliath, he looked at God. He looked at Goliath, he looked at God, and he said, Goliath, you're in trouble. <laughs> he didn't look at himself. Go read the scriptures. You see, self-doubt is mind-driven. It's a reflection of the state of our minds. It's driven by minds. Even what we read in Romans 1 about the minds. Because of what you do with your mind, you live your life out consequently. consequently. And, and what impacts our minds is how we experience loss, failure, disappointments, negativity. I mean, I could speak for weeks just on these points, habits, perception, or the interpretation of things, events, circumstances. We tend, to, we tend to conclude based on our circumstances what we should be thinking, and then we think those thoughts, and then we live it out. Instead of rather, as we're gonna see now, that when there's the absence of God's truth, and we live out our truth, we will get the fruit of our truth. But when we live according to His truth, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. What's truth? His truth. And so when God's truth is absent, this is the greatest contributing factor to self-doubt. Truth gets replaced by a lie or by deception. That's why we gotta say, God, speak, because we are listening. Your word is important. The Bible says, His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. But when we live according to our truth and we make our conclusions, we will always get only our truth and our conclusions. In other words, we'll get our results. But when we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Isn't it true? Let your, will be, your word be done. Because you know, if you want your will of God to be done, you need the word of God. The word of God produces the will of God. Romans 12 says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Then you shall be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve the perfect will of God, right for your life. So when you say, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. You're actually saying, let your word, let your truth be done. And when you say, let your kingdom come, let your word be done, let your truth be done, you get everything that heaven is. But when you say, oh, let my will be done, let my kingdom come, let my thoughts become dominant, then all you get is you. If you live for yourself, all you can ever get is the best you can ever get is you. How small is that? But if you live according to all that heaven is, oh my goodness, the best you can ever get is all that heaven is. Come on, is that true? The absence of God's truth is the greatest contributing factor to self-doubt. Truth gets replaced by a lie or deception. For example, you say, I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. I cannot. I'm too weak. I'm not clever enough. You know, I was all of those things. I'm not clever enough. I'm not educated enough. I've always been like this. Why even try? You know, 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. See there? Sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See what, see what Peter is saying here? He said, watch what you're thinking. 
Because if you're not thinking correctly, you will be sinking. <laughs> the best way to combat self-doubt is to lean into God's truth. Can we do a little exercise here? It's cold winter's day. Everybody, I want you to lean to your right. Everybody lean. No, to your right. That's right. That's, that's good. You, I can see you. Everybody straighten up. Let's do this again. Everybody lean to the right. Fantastic. Now, don't stay there and sleep. Some of you have been leaning for a while this morning. No kidding. Everybody straighten up. So what we got to do is lean into God's truth. And in Exodus 3 verse 11, but God said to Moses, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And watch this. Now God didn't say, well, let me tell you a little bit about yourself. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who would have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain, Moses. And God said, you see, when we lean in, come on, let's go. When we lean into truth, when we lean into him, we get everything that happens. Stay there, stay there. It's a good exercise. When, we, when we, we're there, don't fall off your chair. You know, some of you are getting closer to your spouses you've got in for a while. Okay, it's a good thing. Let's cuddle, let's cuddle, but cuddle with the right person. All right. Some of you, come on now, it's good for the core. It's good for the core. And when you, when you lean into God's truth, you get everything that God is. Most people never heal because they stay in their minds replaying corrupt scenarios. And this person says, let it go. You know, if you keep leaning into the things that are just destroying you, keep leaning to that same old story, that same old memory, that one did this to me, and, and I can't forgive them, and, I, and, I, and it's going to happen again, and I'm not going to trust anybody ever, ever more because they've let me down, and, and uh, I won't deal with those kind of people anymore. I'm not going to go to that church anymore. And, and they, they say, they, this church, they're such hypocrites. Well, join the church because one more won't make a difference. And Moses gets to choose between thinking about himself or about God. This is a very simple sermon. Moses had to make a decision. God didn't tell him to make the decision. He kept bringing truth to Moses. Moses had to take the interpretation of what is happening, and he had to choose between life or death, truth or the lie. This, come on now. And so Moses had to make a decision, but the truth was he had to decide where and when and what to lean into because he had to choose between thinking about himself or thinking about God. Do I lean into my own confusion, my own self-doubts, or do I lean into him? So in other words, don't get hung up on yourself. You know, if it's all about you, it's a very small world. If your whole world is about you, it's a very small world. But if it's all about him, it's a very big world. In fact, Romans 8 verse 6 says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Come on, let's all lean together in the Spirit. When, we, when the mind is governed by the Spirit, oh my goodness, it's life, it's peace, it's joy in the Holy Ghost. But the life, listen, governed by the flesh, let's all go with it. Come on, you know how to lean there. I know this last week you were leaning this way. Come on now, don't, don't, no, 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 no. Don't stay there in the middle. Lean, off you go, off you go. No, that's the good way, the other way. Okay, there we go. The mind governed by the flesh. That's why you can lean up straight now. That's why the Bible says in Galatians, if you walk in the flesh, you will produce the fruit of the flesh. When you walk in the spirit, when you walk in the spirit, you'll produce the fruit of the spirit. Come on, isn't it true? 
Galatians 5 verse 6 verse 7 says, God will not be mocked. The Phillips translation says, what a man sows, thereof he shall reap. So, if you, so whatever you're leaning into is what you're producing the fruit of. Isaiah 26 verse 3 said, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. See the fruit of leaning into him? Perfect peace. Joy in the Holy Ghost. Somebody once said, whenever you find yourself doubting how far you can go, just remember how far you have come. Remember everything you have faced, all the battles you have won, all the fears that you have overcome. I asked the church this uh, every now and again. I said, how many of you in the last three months, you had a prayer need and you prayed and asked God to intervene and God answered your prayer? In this place, how many of you, got, you prayed and God answered your prayer in the last three months? Okay, absolutely. So we just need to lean into what we know to be true. The Bible says in Revelation, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, the work of the cross, the work of Jesus. And they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And a testimony is the fruit of proving God, seeing the breakthrough of heaven, seeing God's answered prayers, seeing the evidence of your faith, evidence of your trust and your belief and your confidence in a God who says he'll do what he says he'll do. He finishes what he starts and he's always going to show up and he's always going to be with me. He said, he'll never leave me, never forsake me. Whoa, I'm with you even until the end of the age. And in fact, he even said, I'm with my father and interceding for you. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. He's going to help. I mean, come on, we've got every reason to be successful every reason and then Moses slips into another trap when he says this to God in Exodus 3 verse 13 <laughs> I can't wait to meet Moses you know why because he's just like you and I <laughs> this is the next trap so self-doubt but yeah it says in Exodus 3 verse 13 Moses said to God suppose Imagine, you gotta, you, is, God has a sense of humor. Moses actually wants to instruct me. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, then what should I tell them? Let me say this. When you have doubt, and when you have self-doubt, it creates scenarios. It creates scenarios. Suppose, imagine that, he thinks. I need to help God out. I, think, I don't think God fully understands Egypt. I don't think God fully understands how difficult it really is that he's asking me to do. So let me help God out a bit. Don't think for one minute we don't do that. Suppose, what if, what if, how many of you, when you know there's something God wants you to do and you put all the reasons why not, what if, suppose this happens. I mean, we live there sometimes. And he says, what if? Well, this could happen. Maybe it'll be like this. I was doing some research, and I want you to listen to this comment on developing worst-case scenarios. The worst-case scenario is usually an exaggerated belief about the outcomes of a situation. Isn't it true? So we believe the worst of what could be. And when it actually we go through it, it's never as bad as we thought it would be. Isn't it true? This scenario is where the mind goes, where there is ambiguity and uncertainty. Fear of the unknown is powerful, and the worst-case scenario plays upon that fear in sneaky ways. The worst-case scenario turns every potential outcome into a catastrophe, where there isn't necessarily anything awful lurking about at all. Often things turn out just fine or not as bad as you thought. Let me quickly add and say most times, if not 
all the time. It's never as bad as you think it is. And by the way, God is able to turn even the worst of circumstances you could even imagine for the good. You can turn it for the good. So Moses is taking, talking himself, he's literally talking himself to, into an inertia. No action, no change. If God had left him alone, Moses would still be in his desert job. Maybe even still today. Representing, represented through you and I. But how does God help Moses? How will God help you today? How does God help me today? Well, he draws Moses' attention to himself. That's what I love about God. You know, if he's... God knew that if he spends too much time talking to Moses about himself, it's going to be a very small play. But he says, let me bring Moses into my world. And Moses gets, or God gets Moses to lean into him. And Moses was making everything about himself. And God says, no, my friend, it's not about you. It's about me. You see, most of our problems and our circumstances, we make it all about ourselves. But God says, it's not actually about that. You know, the car's breaking down. It's not about the car. The washing machine's fat. It's not the washing machine. And the children. It's not the children. It's about, listen, it's not about that. We need to make everything about him. Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Perizzites the Hivites, and Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And what God immediately does, he draws attention to himself. And you know why he does that? Because God has got no doubts. God does not have any self-doubts. He's got no scenarios that he's got to try and imagine. Because God is, has, has got conf, total confidence in his truth. He has total confidence in his ability. And God has got totally, total confidence in his word. That's why nothing will drop to the ground. That's why until he gives authority to it, nothing, his, his word won't even come back until it, is, until it has accomplished the very purpose for which it has been sent. When he speaks, he creates. God does not doubt his ability, his word, or his truth. What does he then do with Moses? Here we come, quickly watch this. Everybody lean a little bit to this side. Let's get back in here. Let's lean into it. He defines the future. So God draws attention to himself just to get you center focused, Christ focused, God focused, Holy Spirit focused, get his word focused, looking out beyond yourself to where you should be. That's why the, that's why the, the definition of, of, of faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not yet seen because it's future focused. But then God defines the future. That's how he helps us. 
He's written every chapter that's still to be read. He's written the whole book. He knows the beginning to the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He knows everything before it's even happened. So who are you gonna trust with your future? Who are you gonna trust with your children, with your business, and with your health? Who are you gonna trust with your eternity when you would die one day and you would be rise, raised up out of the grave in the future? Who will you trust? You'll trust the one who's been there, who is there, and will always be there. His name is Jesus. And so as we begin to wrap up, let's conclude. And let's go back to Easter weekend's messages on Friday and Sunday. Easter weekend. What did we see there over Easter weekend? We saw that the disciples were totally rattled by their weekend experience. Because they had a perception and they, they, they had an idea of what would happen with Jesus. They had it all settled in their minds. But then he's betrayed He's arrested, he's brutally beaten, he's abandoned by his own friends and disciples, he is crucified and then he dies. And then there is an earthquake, graves open up, people come out of the tombs and they were told that Jesus had been resurrected. I mean, they, their minds are screwed up. I mean, they're just so messed. They didn't even know where to lean. If anybody had to settle their doubts, it was the disciples. Do you remember the story of the two men after the, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, and they're walking onto the road to Emmaus. Remember the story? They're walking to the road of Emmaus and they're talking amongst themselves about, it was all gonna happen. It was supposed to happen this way and it didn't. And then he dies. I mean, what's the deal? And they were walking away from their destiny, away from Jerusalem. And they have an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus meets with them and he reveals himself to them. Let's see what happened to them. So they have an encounter with Jesus and they go back to Jerusalem. You see, when you are centered on him, when you get your position right, the right way and when you lean into him, you get centered in your life. You get recalibrated in your life and that your walk becomes different and you go in the right direction again and you begin to do the right things for the right reasons and you get the right results. And these men were walking away, going the wrong way, just like Peter, when he had denied Jesus, he went back to fishing and Jesus had to find him again where he was fishing to recalibrate him, bring him back to that central focus. And Luke 24 verse 33 says, these two men, after that communion with Jesus, fellowship with Jesus, they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. Come on, everybody lean in, lean in. Say, it is true. You've got to get to that place of not doubting what his truth is, not doubting what he says about your life. It is true. They said, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened, and on the way, how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is why this is so important. Every time we break bread, every time we have communion, we are acknowledging, we are declaring, it is true, it is true. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. Ah. You know what he did? He came right through the wall. He could have knocked on the door. He could have knocked, hello, it's me, Jesus. No, no, he's just like, through the door, he's through the wall. Through the door, I don't know, who, it was a wall or door. It's wall and all. But he walks right through. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. You see, when you're leaning, yeah, there's no peace. When you're doubting, suffering, walking away, frustrated, angry, depressed, no peace. Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. 
And he said to them, why are you troubled? Watch this. Why do doubts rise in your minds? I want the worship team to come up. You see, if you don't settle doubts, it will lead to fear, confusion, and it will affect how and what you see in life. Your direction will be affected. Once the two men who were going in the wrong direction leaned into Jesus, it says in Luke 24, verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. When you're leaning to truth, the truth will set you free. You see, your interpretation of life will be affected. You see, there are some people who see things as they are and they say, why? But there are those who see things as they could be and they say, why not? We are a why not people. We are not the why knows. Why, why me, why there, why? Why, 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 why? I'm not a why no, I'm a why not. The Bible says in Ephesians 3 verse 20 that God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever think, dream, or imagine according to His Spirit that is at work within you. See, the antidote to all the negativity, to all this incorrect interpretation of life, do you know what the antidote is? Is to be fully immersed into Jesus. One more time. Let's lean. The antidote to all the negativity, all the frustration, all the lack of peace, and all the anger, the frustration, is just to lean into Jesus. You can sit up straight. That's why I believe the gospel tells us that John was the one who leaned onto Jesus. Luke 24 says, look at my hands, Jesus said. You see what Jesus does every time there's doubt and confusion? He draws attention to himself. Amen. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. Isn't that good that he invites you to fellowship with him? Invites you to be part of him. Invites you to experience him. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while, there was, while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And he gave, and they gave him a, a piece of broiled fish. You know, if it was in Cape Town, we would have given him a nice steak. But yeah, these disciples, broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. And that, you know, this even had to happen to Thomas. Because we know that he wasn't there in this, in this particular occasion. A week later, it says, now Thomas in John 20, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I, you see, it's, it's all about himself. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, Watch this, I will not believe. The truth is, if you say you will not believe, you will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with him. Though the doors were locked. <laughs> I love this. Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. I would have done it like that. Peace be with you. Give it a lack of skrik. No, I think he was more gentle. He said to Thomas, put, here's amazing. 
He comes in there and He knows exactly who He needs to speak to. Just like today, Jesus knows exactly who you are, where you are, what you've come from, what you've gone through. And He is speaking to you very specifically today. That's why you can know that God speaks. My sheep, Jesus said, hear my voice and they follow me. So this is a very specific moment, very personal moment. Jesus comes into that room. There's all these people and He goes straight to Thomas. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Watch this. Stop it. Stop it, Thomas. Stop doubting. And believe. Which means, my friends, doubting is a choice. Believing is a choice. You can choose either side. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. I'm just going to close with this last part. Jesus says to Thomas, stop it. I want to ask you, what needs to stop right now? You know that these thoughts have led you down this road. This habit that you have formed in your life is because of habitual thinking. Habits come as a result of habitual thinking. The pattern of your life is because of a pattern of your thinking. And it all starts with just one thought that is entertained. And it's entertained to such a degree that it begins to play out in your life. So what is playing out in your life that you need to stop right now? And the way we stop it is by leaning away from where we've been leaning and we lean into Him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father. The outcome, the fruit, the, the journey of your life will never be realized as it should until you lean into His way, into His truth, into His thinking, into His presence, because He is here today. You can reject Him. You can say, I don't believe. And you will get the fruit of all of that. Or you can say, oh man, I don't deserve it. I know that Jesus knows who I am because I'm a scoundrel. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no one righteous except Christ. That's why the Bible says that He who became, listen, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of Christ through Him. So that's why we lean into Him because He's our righteousness. He's the mercy giver, the grace giver. He cleanses us. Paul says it like this, if anyone is in Christ, it's a new creation. The old things, we all know about the old things, the old way of life, the old gunk and junk, and all the gunk and the junk in the trunk. I'm going to do a rap song in a minute now. But we all know about that stuff, right? Come on, we don't have to talk about sin. We know what it's like. We hate it. We don't like it. But we seem to live in it. Well, the only way we can get out of it is to lean into Him. Whoever comes to Him, you'll no way is cast aside, the Bible says. 
Jesus said it like this. Come unto me those who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.